I was in full on mania at this point, and I um, I took my car and I drove it uh, off the, off of the freeway I was on into a field and and figure eighted it by my. I was in it by alone until the car flipped over on purpose as a way to like exit myself from all these thoughts I was having. Hey guys, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with JB Kirshner, and he's going to share a story about being diagnosed with bipolar type 1 disorder. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. So, when you first were diagnosed with bipolar 1 dis- type bipolar type 1 disorder, how old were you? So I was in my early 20s, and the reason I say I was in my early 20s and not a specific day or uh, time that I remember that I was diagnosed, because I really don't remember. Um, I was treated for sort of abrupt, super obvious manic episodes, which started at a very young age. They started for me when I was 14 years old, and I was sort of treated accordingly for um, symptoms of bipolar but I wasn't formally diagnosed, or at least I wasn't told that this was what I had until it was, you know, abundantly clear that this was bipolar disorder. And that happened sometime in my early 20s. Wow. So there was a good amount of time where you didn't know what it was called and you didn't know if it had a name. So I don't, I didn't know what it was and I didn't specifically concern myself with it. I suspect my doctor, my psychiatrist had some idea that this was, you know, bipolar disorder, but he wasn't willing to kind of classify it or communicate it to me until um, he knew the diagnosis was correct. And by that time I was, I was probably being treated with a specific cocktail of, you know, medication specifically for people who struggle with um, or live with type one bipolar disorder. So to him, to my doctor, he probably knew to me, it was communicated sometime in my early twenties when I could say, Hey, you've got bipolar disorder. Wow. So for people who don't know what bipolar type one disorder is, would you mind sharing a little bit more about it? Absolutely. I'll do my best. I just, um, I can only speak from my experience as a patient Um, For me, bipolar disorder is accompanied by, you know, obvious, um, severe acute mania. And that means that you have sort of feelings of grandiosity, euphoria, you can be delusional, you can have hallucinations. My first manic episode occurred when I was 14 years old. Um, I, I totally lost touch with reality. I was unable to communicate with friends and family. I was paranoid. I thought I was going to be assassinated. It was very strange and really out of nowhere. So it was super obvious to my family that something was up. So um, it was that it was at that age I went to the doctor for the first time at age 14. And then I would deal with other severe manic episodes, acute severe manic episodes that would then be treated um, accordingly. And I later in life would struggle with um, depressive episodes, but it's clear it's, it's, um, it's worth clarification that, you know, with bipolar disorder, it's not your like up or down, you know, within a short period of time, at least that's my experience. I've been told that you can be both manic and depressed at the same time, and that can be very difficult to treat. Um, and I really have a lot of empathy for folks who struggle with that specific type of bipolar disorder. For me, it was always 
um, a steady climb into mania, proceeding, proceeding with hypomania. And then when you're in full-on mania, it's a dangerous state. Um, it's very, um, you've, you've lost touch with reality. You don't know that you're ill, which is often the, the, uh, uh, um, a very dangerous sort of characteristic to be ill, but not know you're ill. Um, and then once you're able to sort of uh, get treatment, get some grounding, return to um, a more, your more rational senses. For me at that time, it would take you know, weeks and I might slip into a more depressive episode. Wow. So what was it like having manic episodes? Were you, because you describe feeling paranoid, um, feeling very, I'm assuming overwhelmed, not really knowing that something is wrong. So what kind of thoughts go through your head? What is that really like for people who've never experienced it? Yeah. So again, just, I can only speak from my experience, but this feeling of, um, I'm going to talk about one specific episode, which was probably my most severe, severe episode, which occurred when I was 21 years old. Um, what started with hypomania, which is sort of elevated, uh, thoughts, elevated mood, reduced need for sleep. Um, I had thought that sort of external media, maybe the radio, the TV, um, things I saw in the real world were all sort of related specifically to me and what I was thinking at that time. So that sort of explains the grandiose thinking, which is often accompanied by um, sort of this classic manic depressive illness. So with these grandiose thoughts, you then think that the, for, for me at least, I thought the entire world was almost in on the, the thoughts I was having and that these were normalized thoughts. So when I was, um, uh, 21 years old, I, uh, I was actually driving from New York City, where I lived at the time, to college, which was in upstate New York. And again, because, because I think the radio is communicating with me, because I think that, you know, the, the, everyone's sort of in on this game, I, I had, um, I was, I was, in, I was in full on mania at this point, And I, um, I took my car and I drove it uh, off the off of the freeway I was on into a field and, and figure eighted it by my, I was in it by alone until the car flipped over on purpose as a way to like exit myself from all these thoughts I was having. Um, I was obviously uh, arrested at that time. And um, I was forced to visit a psychiatric ward for a period of time. But the point I want to make is not specifically the, the delusions or the, the actions I took, but really um, that you, you live in your own head and don't know that you're ill. And that's really dangerous because it caused me to do real, real world things that were dangerous to myself and potentially others. Um, I was never sort of an angry manic. I was never, um, I never had sort of um, concerns that I would harm myself or others, but it, my actions being so isolated and, and in my head caused me to do things that were dangerous. Um, so it can, it can really snowball quickly into delusion, euphoria, thoughts of grandiosity, um, and that can actually manifest itself in ways that are super dangerous to self, even though you don't want it to be. That was not my intention to hurt myself, and I was not hurt in the sort of daredevil stunt that I pulled when I was in my manic state. 
I'm so happy you weren't hurt. And thank you so much for sharing that story because I think a lot of people don't realize the impact of living in your head. And when your mind is working against you and you don't realize that it's working against you and you just, you're kind of trapped without knowing you're trapped. And it can be extremely dangerous. It can be extreme, extremely dangerous to you. It can be extremely dangerous to those around you. And it's not something that you can easily control. And a lot of times you really do need help and medication and therapy. And like you said, going into a psych ward, all of that can be so helpful. So what was it like when you got to the psych ward? Um, it's a bit of a blur because uh, at that point I was so delusional and manic that I all I remember was um, all I remember was being sort of apprehended by some police officers taken in for observation at one institution where I was sort of closer to the what I'll call daredevil stunt that I um, had and then transferred to another institution which was closer to home where I um, where I spent about eight days. I know that from my experience, the first thing they do is they really sedate you because I had such you know high energy, fast thoughts, um, delusional thoughts. The first thing they want to do is sedate you. So that that I don't remember very well. But after that, it's just sort of you you know observation, getting your your medications tweaked. I spent eight days in a psychiatric ward. What was really important for me was that I graduated from university on time. So I really, I really took my treatment very seriously. And I made promises, not just to myself, but to my loved ones, that if I was able to return to college and graduate on time, that I would refrain from doing things that can um, reduce your grip on reality. And those include um, substances like, like alcohol, like, um, like pot. Um, and I was, you know, in college, there was a lot of people who, including myself, who would drink, you know, a lot. And uh, at that point, I'd given up smoking pot, but still it was around. So I had, um, I had promised that I would not, I would refrain from those things. So I had a true grip on reality. Um, and I was able to graduate on time, which was really, really Amazing. important to me. Yeah. Um, psychiatric wards are a lot of observation. You spend time uh, with other people who are in them. You hear stories. Uh, you could order in food. You know, we were, mine was in New York City, so we were ordering food all the time. I mean, it, it's, you know, it was it was fine. I don't have any really adverse uh, memories of it. I don't have a lot of memories of it. Period. So I was probably pretty heavily sedated, um, but yeah, it, it helped me. That's amazing, and I think a lot of times when we talk about psych ward specifically, we talk about the negatives and where there needs to be improvement. And it's amazing to hear a story of how it does help because they do help. And there are a lot of amazing opportunities and things that come out of being hospitalized in a psych ward. I spent um, six nights, seven days in a psych ward um, when I was 20. And my experience was very different. So we didn't have the ability, we did, they didn't sedate us. They forced us all to take the same medication. So somebody with depression versus someone with anxiety versus someone just struggling with suicidal ideation or um, alcohol abuse, we all got put on the same medication. So it doesn't work like that for everyone. And that medication didn't mix well with me, even though it was for depression. It was a Lexapro. I didn't react well with it. And I felt like I came out of there in a worse position. 
So I think a lot of times that I know I specifically focus on talking about all the things that they could improve on. So I'm really happy that you were able to shed some light on how it helped you, because I think it's really important to note that there are so many amazing tools out there that help you. And just because it didn't work great for someone else's experience doesn't mean that everyone has a bad experience. Yeah, and it's important to point out that it's a journey, right? I mean, just because I was in a psychiatric ward, that wasn't, I wasn't like automatically better when I exited the psychiatric ward. Like it's taken me years of psychotherapy, um, medication, medications that have been tweaked over time, not just the which medications I take, but the dosages of medications I take. I'm specifically very sensitive to some of the medications I take. So it's really important that my psychiatrist sort of monitor my behavior simply through talk therapy, you know, conversations, not all that dissimilar to this one um, so that I'm on the right dose of certain things because you can easily slip into more hypomania or perhaps even depressive episodes. And none of those things are super fun for somebody that lives with bipolar disorder. I mean, there's a certain almost sex appeal to mania because of how, you know, these grandiose thoughts um, present themselves, but you're really playing with fire as, as indicated by the daredevil stunt that I pulled, which was totally detached from reality, right? Um, and when you're acting like that, it's not just dangerous to self, it's really challenging for people around you that want to help because you might look normal, you might be speaking a little fast, but like you just don't know what's going on in somebody's head. And like I said earlier, the trouble with mental illness is that, or those trouble with bipolar disorder is that you don't know that you're ill. And um, that's, that's, like I said, playing with fire. That's when you're kind of in that danger zone where you know, bad things can happen, even if you don't intend them, intend for them to be bad things to self. Exactly. And you mentioned it, mentioned it being a journey, and it really is a journey, the journey of healing and understanding, learning, processing, and figuring out the right tools and resources and coping mechanisms for you. So what was your journey like after coming out of the psych ward to get to where you are today? What was that journey like? I've been really lucky having a, psych- a, a psychiatrist that I trust. Um, I want to make the distinction f- between sort of a psychiatrist or a psychopharmacologist and a therapist, because that's often helpful for people that are less familiar with the, 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 uh, the difference. A psychiatrist or a psychopharmacologist can prescribe medication. A therapist cannot. So I've had several therapists over time but one psychiatrist who I saw from the, from the moment I had that first abrupt, super obvious acute manic episode when I was 14 years old um, to today. He's since taken over my uh, psychotherapy, but having someone that can sort of monitor you and um, you know, prescribe medications over time based on you know, his knowledge of you in contrast to sort of his knowledge of what it's like to go through bipolar disorder is really, really, really helpful for me. And I can't, um, I can't overstate that. You know, it's, my medications have changed over time. Um, You know, when you're first sort of diagnosed, when you first have an abrupt, super obvious manic episode at a young age, you're not put on like, the traditional bipolar medications, which are lithium, Depakote, and then there's other boutique, or there's other medications that you take just to, to, to sort of address specific symptoms. 
Um, so a lot of people get on one medication at a young age, but then as the bipolar starts to become more obvious over time or the symptom, or that's, you can really classify someone as being bipolar based on the symptoms and life experiences they have, that medication and treatment that, that evolves over time and having that, that foundation, having that individual who's sort of seen you um, through your entire life, through all your different life experiences, that's really, really helpful. And I've been super fortunate to have a psychiatrist who's been there with me that I trust, um, that has fortunately for me, I think prescribed me and diagnosed me correctly over time. Um, and, and that foundation is critical. One more thing I wanna say is that I've disagreed with therapists I've had, and I've had different therapists. And my psychiatrist has disagreed with certain things that my therapists have said. So finding that support system that you trust and having a psychiatrist or a psychopharmacologist who can communicate to your, to your own family what to expect for someone who's young, who's dealing with bipolar disorder is really, really critical because there's going to be ups and downs. You, 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 you know, if you can say like, look, he might, he or she might become manic again. He might have hypomanic episodes. He might have full on manic episodes but this is treatable and we will get through this. And, um, you know, it's really important that he take his mental health seriously. And that in my case, I participate in psychotherapy and again, continue to take the medications as prescribed, even if there's being tweaked, even if they're being tweaked or sort of um, tested over time. You've touched on so many amazing topics right there. It is so important to find a therapist, a psychiatrist, anyone on your mental health team that you trust, that you can trust. And it's amazing to have somebody who's been there over time and who's seen you from the start, from the worst to the to as you're getting better and growing and healing and overcoming. But it's also okay to switch and to change. Like you said, when you don't agree, when it's not helpful and it's not supportive, when you just need a different um, person help you, that's okay. And finding someone that works for you is the most important part. And I think a lot of people start with a therapist and they either continue because they feel like they can't switch, that it's too difficult to start over, or they start with a therapist, they don't like them, and then they stop therapy and therapy doesn't work. It's so important to know that there are so many people out there who all have different approaches. And some going to work for you and some aren't going to work for you. And that's okay. But finding the right support team is so important and such a crucial part of your journey. So thank you for touching on that. Yeah. And if, if you're sort of someone that struggles with mental illness at a young age, I recommend that you have your doctor, your therapist, your psychiatrist, whoever yours is in your sort of medical support team or, or psychiatric support team, communicate to family members who are concerned about you what that journey might look like over time. Um, you know, because it's, it's hard to do it alone. It's really hard to do it alone. And I remember in some of my earliest sessions with my psychiatrist, my mom was sitting right next to me and then she wasn't, she wasn't there for the entire session, but for half the session, it would just be me. And then maybe for the last 10 minutes or so, my mom would come in and the psychiatrist would say, okay, how's he doing? You know, ask some pointed questions. And these, these psychiatrists are experts, right? I mean, 
they they get the feedback they need if you find if, if you're comfortable and you find a good one and you have the opportunity to you know again have a have access to good good medical care then they're 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 there to help you and um the benefit that your family gets is that there's a path forward here right like you can you can live a normal life and still be bipolar Exactly. And that's such an amazing point to bring up because I think a lot of people, especially kids, when you're struggling and you go see a therapist, at least I know for me, it's terrifying to bring your parents in. Do you bring them in? Do you not bring them in? Is the therapist going to tell them what you're saying? Is it okay to feel the way you're feeling? And it's so true. And as I've gotten older, sometimes I bring my parents in for a session and let my parents talk to the therapist and be honest with what our relationship looks like and how I'm acting with them and what they see that their therapist doesn't see. And that's so important because although you can go into therapy and tell your therapist anything, you can tell your therapist anything. You can spin the story however you want. And from your eyes, it might be a little different than from someone else's eyes. So having that support from family, if you have that support and if they're willing to be there for you can be so, so incredibly helpful and important. I think a lot of people miss out on that because of this level of fear and not knowing if it's okay to bring them in. And your therapist can't tell your family what you're saying. They can't tell anybody else. So you still have that safe space, but they can also gather more information from them and come up with a better treatment plan. And having family to support you is so incredibly important. Absolutely. So when you were struggling, what was when you were younger, let's start with when you were 14, what was the best way for your family to help you? I think a lot of people don't know how to help someone who's struggling. Uh, that, that was a tough one because it was abrupt. It was unexpected. Again, I had lost touch with reality. I was having trouble communicating with people because I was so paranoid. And I didn't realize that my thinking was delusional. Everything I thought in terms of losing grips with reality, the paranoia, the grandiosity, that didn't feel strange. The, 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 the thought lines, the theories that I had, you couldn't easily convince me that those weren't true. And um, that's tricky for your family who just, if you're able to communicate anything, if, if the patient is able to communicate anything about this sort of grandiose thinking, then it's pretty super obvious to those who aren't manic that what you're saying is not grounded in reality and perhaps simply untrue. So I was brought to a psychiatrist, the one who I see now, um, and my treatment plan began. Um, it is a journey. Uh, it will not get better overnight. Um, especially at that young age, I was scared. I lived in New York city. I was scared to walk on the street by myself. I remember the first time I went out again by myself after I had this sort of severe acute manic episode. So it's gradual. It'll take a little bit of time. Be patient with yourself, be positive. But again, for bipolar, the really tricky thing here is that the patient doesn't know he's ill. He, he or she doesn't think that they're having an episode and it can be really tricky to just say, hey, hey man, snap out of it. You know, hey, this isn't real. What you're thinking is totally delusional. 
that might not be the best approach. Um, hope that helps. What are some other phrases that people should avoid? I think a lot of people don't, they try to support and they use very invalidating phrases just because no one has these conversations. So what phrases felt helpful to you versus what phrases felt kind of invalidating and damaging? So I don't think in terms of invalidating and, and um, I don't think anyone likes being called psychotic, even though a psychotic episode was exactly what I had when I referenced, you know, the daredevil stunt I pulled with my car. Um, you know, I've had other sort of psychotic episodes. I don't think anyone likes being called that, even though it's probably accurate for the manic episodes I had. Some of the buzzwords that I think are okay, and anyone with bipolar who has mania can probably relate to. Again, I can only speak from my experience. Grandiosity, euphoria, um, perhaps hallucinations, lack of need for, uh, you don't need as much sleep. Um, your energy might be elevated. You might talk fast. You might think that you can accomplish lots of things at once and set in motion all these different plans. And then perhaps as time passes, you'll find you're not necessarily fulfilling all the things or completing all the things you set out to do. So again, grandiosity, that's a big one. Euphoria, that's a big one. Um, hallucinations without the use of any kind of um, drugs, that's a big one and delusional thinking, but I would, I would try to steer away from delusional thinking just because it's hard to convince somebody who's manic that they're being delusional, just because of what I've said a couple of times, which is that um, the manic or bipolar patients don't, don't know that they're having an episode. It's like breaking an arm and being like, oh no, my arms aren't broken. Yeah. So you've touched on that a lot where you don't know. So what was it like afterwards finding out? Did it help bring some kind of relief and understanding that it had a name? Was it even more terrifying? What was that like? That's a great question. That's the hardest part for me. Um, learning that this all lives in your head and that you're not this grandiose character or that the delusions you've had are not going to come to fruition, that can be a really tough pill to swallow. Um, and you have to work through that sometimes. And that's why I, I've had a lot of uh, psychotherapy um, because learning and living with the fact that these are just delusional thoughts and accepting that you are not who at least I had thought I was in my manic episodes is a challenge. And one more thing I'll add is that, you know, if you don't need a lot of sleep and you have high energy, and in my case, I was even hallucinating at times, like that stuff can be wild and it can be fun, but you're playing with fire. Because inevitably, that's not going to last. But then convincing yourself that these thoughts are just existing in your head and they're not grounded in reality, that is a process. And I admire anyone with bipolar disorder who has accepted um, that their mania is a symptom and not who they are because uh, that can be a challenging 
that that's challenging. And like I said, it's a journey and takes time. So be, so if you're listening and you have bipolar disorder, be patient with yourself, take it easy on yourself. Uh, you can get better. There's a path forward. That is absolutely amazing, amazing advice to share with someone. I think a lot of people who are struggling, whether it's with bipolar disorder or just any form of mental illness, it's overwhelming and terrifying to come to terms with it, to understand it, and to move forward and continue on with life. I think a lot of times it feels almost too overwhelming. And that's where a lot of people struggle not knowing who to reach out to if anybody else feels this way. And that's why conversations like these and people like you who are willing to speak out and share your story can be so incredibly helpful because a lot of times people feel alone in it. And when you feel alone, it's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, and, and look, my uh, you can be bipolar and only have mania, believe it or not. I've, I've, I've experienced... Uh, depression, but it goes the same thing for depression, right? Like for, with bipolar depression, w- will this get better? Am I going to feel more, en- you know, am I going to feel better? Am I going to have a more positive outlook? Um, even in the States where I'm like, I don't want to get back to mania. Um, I-, I don't want to be there, but I don't want to feel so lousy. And it can be a very isolating feeling when you're like, you know, this is, this is, this is lousy. I feel lousy, but again, it's, it's a processed journey. Like you said, you're not alone. Um, lots of people experience not just bipolar mania or bipolar depression, but PTSD, OCD, um, you know, chronic depression, all, all these sort of um, illnesses that are, you know, hopefully treatable with the right, um, plan. And in my case, it's been psychotherapy and a medication combination. Thank you so much for sharing all of that because it's overwhelming and it's terrifying when you are struggling and when you feel alone, when you don't know who to reach out to and to hear someone who has talked about it and talked about the lows and the worst part of it and who's gone through it, who's gone through um, psychiatrists and therapy and finding the right medication and the whole journey and to see you on the other side where you are doing so much better is just absolutely amazing and so touching and I'm so honored that you joined me today thank you I hope this is helpful um it's if I can make an impact on one person who struggles with mental illness um that's the reward that I need uh that I, that I, that I appreciate because I know it's a process. Um, and I know that it's not easy. Um, and if you've struggled with mental illness, you know, it's not easy, but if you're fortunate enough to have that support system, access to good care, doctors, you trust, um, you can get better. And it's nice to be in my case, it's really nice to be in control of my thoughts because otherwise it's either super dangerous, which is what the manic part is, or just super like lousy when you don't feel good and you're, you're, you're sort of down and you don't feel like you have any path forward because of the depression. So it's nice to be stable and it's nice to be happy.